Yeah. Anyway, Kim went to go get water while you were gone, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Malcolm's <laughs> feeling sick, so. Uh... <laughs> no, that's cool. I, I just was left holding the bag. Hi everyone, welcome to Microphones of Madness. <laughs> Steve forgot who was in charge this week. You're you're Monday, pal. I know, but it was blank. <laughs> I know it was blank. I was giving it I was giving it the customary five seconds. Does this mean I won't be the thumbnail for once? Uh, no problem. Steve might be since he was the first voice. Cool. Usually you're the first voice. You're never the thumbnail. Yeah, that's right. What the fuck? Ambient noise. I don't know. Hmm. I said it that way. So, welcome to Microphones of Madness. It's Saturday night, August the 27th, 2016. Uh, as always, I'm that guy you see on the screen there. Uh... This is Steve. Uh, that's salute. The, so what's that? John Constantine salute. That's a John Constantine salute. <laughs> or I can do that. Oh, there you go. Go either way. Anime. And last but certainly not least, the sleeper. Schmelzer. Schmelzer. Yes. All right, so that's the crew, the residents of Arkham Hospital. Uh, shoot. For the criminally insane? Sure. And tonight we are talking the madness of Dr. Caligari. Yes. An anthology that's so new you can't even get it yet. Yeah. I know, it's awesome. Now, you can pre-order this anthology. The link is in the description, so uh, check that out. Um, and we, since, since we're still in pre-order status, we are going to really, really try not to have any spoilers. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to try. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we're going we're gonna to not have yeah. any spoilers tonight. We're going to take um, you to the brink. We're gonna take it to (laughs) get your own towels, ladies. No happy endings here. No happy endings here. All right. So the anthology, of course, will be published by uh, Fadogan and Burmer, and it is edited by the legendary Joseph S. Polbar, legendary Carcosa himself. Well, he's he's moved himself over to Holstenval. For a little while, yeah. It's probably, it's probably some political strife in Carcosa at the moment. So he's taken over a new town, a town that has no curves. Ah, uh, yes. A town that occupies a singularity between sleep and wakefulness, where all things are real and nothing is real. Basically, fat guys in top hats. Absolutely, lots of pasty fat guys in top hats, with with glasses. 
and long coats. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go down the list as usual when we do these sorts of things and uh, start with Kim and get your overall impressions of the first half. I am loving the hell out of this. It's really well done. There's, I mean, names aside, I mean, you, you can look at this. It's a laundry list of all the best writers you find nowadays. But names aside, these are excellent. They they draw they drew they continue to draw me in. They keep me, and I don't want to put it down. And I've right. actually done better with this one than I have with the past several books. Because <laughs> you know you know what a slow-ass reader I am. Well, I am pushing it like hell with this one. And I still didn't quite make it through the half, but damn it, I, I came damn close. Came damn close. Damn close. All right. Steve? Um, having re-watched the movie prior to reading this, and... You should rewatch the movie if you, or watch it if you haven't seen it prior to reading this. We find a really diverse interpretation of the themes of that film. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, for those of you who don't know. Um, there's a lot of stories that concentrate on madness and how madness is transmitted. There are stories that um, look at the sleepwalking angle of it, and there are even stories that, that look at the the scenery, because the movie itself is very strident in its visual imagery. And some of these stories actually use that I don't know how else to describe it. The, the the scenery of the movie to make their point, and it, it's it's really well done. Pulver did a great job assembling this and um, pushing these guys to to really celebrating this movie. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's it is it's a very interesting mix of stories. Um, like Kim, is it was hard to put down, but also on on the flip side of that, it's also a book that you really have to stop periodically and just absorb what you just read. Yes, because there 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 are a couple of stories we're going to talk about that was like getting kicked in the face. Oh, um, yeah. There were a couple of stories that. You, you, you got to the last words, and you were like, the fuck did I just read? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's, that kind of, it's that kind of mix of stories. I, like you said, there's uh, the, the tone of the film. Um, you know, a lot of the imagery makes its way, some of the characters, some of the, the, the lines from the film um, make their way into the book, and... and yeah, it's it's so far it's been a one hell of a ride, and uh, yeah, we're halfway through. Um, Steve and I got up to uh, story number eleven, which is I think the dead center of the book, and Kim's not too too far behind. Yeah, I'm on story number ten. 
Ah, the projection booth. That's that's a good one. We'll get to that one. Mm -hmm. Actually, but before we we start getting into the meat, I just wanted to thank uh, Joe Pulver for letting us do this. Yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a great opportunity to get to check this book out that that we've been waiting for. We've we've heard hints. Yeah, ever ever since um, Casilda's song. Really. Right. Oh hell yeah. We've been we've been hearing hints about this book, and we got it in our hands. We were able to get it early, and thank you, Joe Pulver, um, and and Cat too. You no, know it was Cat. Cat. <laughs> we, we love you, Cat. Because because we all know that Cat is actually in charge. Joe will not deny this. <laughs> so. Okay, well, starting to the meat, and as as always, for those of you who are new to the to the show, when we do anthology discussions, we generally just go down the table of contents in order and discuss discuss the stories. Um, now, one of the things that I've commented on uh, with Casilda Song, um, with uh, Season in Carcosa, and and just in general, uh, when we go through an anthology, is the opening story. The opening story is it's one of the most important things because – and Joe is particularly good at picking the opening story, the story that drags us into the world that this book is going to take us to for the time we spent reading. In this case, it's The Words Between by Ramsey Campbell. Um, it it – he drags Ramsey drags us into it. He's, it starts out. It's it's mundane. It's you know kind of like any time you know in your head. You know it, it's familiar, and then it starts progressively getting stranger and stranger, and lines begin to blur, and then suddenly by the end of the story, we are fully drawn into the madness of Doctor Caligari. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was that was a great. Lead-off hitter, to use a baseball term. Uh, that was the Adam Jones. I think he's he's leading off for the Orioles these days. Ah. Uh, so what did you guys think of Ramsey's offer? It was gorgeous. I mean, the ending was a little predictable, but it was really super well done, and I, I just loved the hell out of it. Steve. Well, um, I liked how he used that brutalist style architecture, which mm -hmm. if, if you are familiar with architecture, which I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I look, I, 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 it's from another source. Right. I'll shout, I'll shout out to, uh, to, um, what, to, uh, RPPR, and that's where I got it from. The knowledge of this—it's it, very straight lines, right angles, concrete. Right. It, it's very stark. It's a—it's a college campus that almost evokes the imagery of a prison. Yes. And as the story moves along, we get, at least in the mind of the narrator, or the the main character, um, Ross. Right. His name was Ross. Which is yep. weird because RPPR is run by a guy named Ross, Ross Payton. His, his name is uh, Reese Ross. 
Anyway, Ross. Ross. Ross well, he says, that's what he says anyway. The the uh, the scenery, the architecture of the school actually starts to melt and to form odd angles, and it evokes the imagery from the film. Mm-hmm. And then he actually starts to find himself shifting into mm-hmm. the world of the film. Right. Um, to the point where the conversations that he hears are from the dialogue cards from the film. Mm-hmm. Um, very well done. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I wanted to uh, point out the, an interesting design note since you talked about the dialogue cards. Each story is, is preceded uh, with a rep- reproduction of the dialogue cards from Cabinet of Caligari with the title and author of each story. And I thought that was a really cool effect. Because it has, particularly because the the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari has a really interesting font that it uses. And we get to see that in the, every story we get to see that. Um, Yeah, so now we've been uh, secured in the hooks and dragged kicking and screaming into this nightmare world. Uh, we're on to the second story, uh, Take a Walk in the Night, My Love, by Damien Angelica Walters. All I, I have a note here in the margins that is in all capital letters that says, TWIST! Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. Because yeah, you can't really talk about this without giving it away. Right, I can't talk about the specifics of it. But yeah, you get I mean you're you're going through this and and the story is I mean it's second person so you know and we we've, we've discussed second person being a little awkward but here it works really well because you know, it's almost like you're trapped inside this character, right? And and you're just following along, and we get to the twist, which, and then we get and it twists again. Yeah. <laughs> it has more probably, twists than a Chuck Berry song. We can probably get away with saying that it's about a woman who thinks she's being gaslighted. Yeah, you can yeah. say that. And and if you're not familiar with gaslighting, it's based on. And it's a concept that they drew from an old film called Gaslight, I believe, where a husband was trying to make his wife think she was crazy in order to uh, get her committed. Mm-hmm. And this this seems to be running along similar lines. Mm-hmm. And it turns out to be far, far more sinister than... In, uh, in depth, and yeah, it's crazy how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'll, and I'll, I did not see the end coming at all. At you all. did not see the end coming at all. I did not. Well, you know, I will. We, I think, we can spoil the fact that this story is about programming, right? Um, yeah. You know, and which that's is not much of a spoiler because that's what almost all of these are about. Right. 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 A lot of the stories, in one way or another, are about are about programming, uh, the use of hypnosis, right? Um, you know, Controlling and behavior, mesmerism. Because at the time, you know, you had you had uh, Mesmer and his animal magnetism and whatnot, and people were really scared of the shit. I mean, hell, 
it even carried on into the 30s. You had the 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 well, shadow was a master of hypnosis. Well, look at the the story by Lovecraft and Iralathotep, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. He, he was yeah. he was a master of hypnosis. He was he was like Caligari, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, and yeah, hypnosis was a very very scary thing. And to an extent, there is still uh, fears of the hypnotist. The fact that you know it seems like the hypno- hypnotist, particularly in like the entertainment settings, carnival sideshows type stuff, seems to have complete control over their their subjects. And it's. It, it's, it's a legitimately frightening weakness. I mean, you know, a lot of people just can't fathom being dominated like that. And oh, I know, you know, it's terrifying. And that's a that's a that's a theme that's, that's recurring throughout, particularly the first half of the anthology. And it's used to great effect in in Walter's story as well. Uh, so yeah, it was you know, Ramsey dragged us in and. She clubbed, us, she clubbed us over the head with a bat. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, by the time you're in the second story, you're in. You, well, oh, yeah. The great thing about the second story is it, it's a very – it's short, but it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. you, you basically have this woman who starts sleepwalking. Right. And starts – Discovering, I guess, little incongruities in her life. Right. Things like a scar that she never knew she had. Right. Or not remembering that her mother's was had passed. Right. Right. Little and, little memory reality right. seeming and, to fold in on itself. Right, and that's when she starts suspecting she's being um, gaslighted. Right. So and and Walters handles it very well, and the fact that it's second person mm-hmm. kind of drags you into the narrative because it's you, right? Right. So so even if you're not um, a woman who married a rich plastic surgeon, I I know it's hard to imagine not being one, right? <laughs> you're able to better relate to the character because of the way the narrative was in second person, which mm-hmm. makes the end of it even that more sinister. Because it right. happened to you. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, so now we're on to the third story, Confessions of a Medicated Lurker by Reese Hughes. Now... Yeah, that's one that I just notated. Damn. Yeah, um... This one, this one had a lot of interesting turns of phrase in it, um, like like uh, Austin Vall is a city with no curves, right. and and just sprinkled throughout the narrative are these just little subtle turns of a phrase that are just like you read it and you go whoa, and yeah. you stop for a second and then you continue to read. And you do a double take and you say what? Holy shit! Wait, what? Yeah. And uh, yeah, big big climax at the end. It's it's God. It's so hard to discuss things without spoilers. Yeah, damn it. Well, we can we can 
look at it as an impressionistic piece. Mm -hmm. uh, because clearly, a lot of the things that happen to the narrator, and, and let's be frank, he's a, he's a mad scientist. Right. He's a sadist. I, I have a I have some some inkling that the the narrator may have been Caligari himself. Yeah, um, he clearly had Joker level insanity mm -hmm. just because of the things he would do. I mean, he spitefully torturing his patients. But you I mean, get he the, he also mentioned sewing a dog into a human. Right. You get right. man. You get the impression that the all that he was a visitor. He wasn't a native. Right. And you get the impression that the town itself, not the people, but the actual town, right. started warping his mind. That yeah, the the, the strange angles, the the, the, the jagged lines right. of the town actually drives person insane. Right. And yeah, that's that was an interesting that was an interesting little uh, tidbit in the story because you know the power of the location itself. Um, and that's one of the things watching the film, you find yourself dragged back into those background paintings, and and watching the mm -hmm. the scenery of like the police station where one wall is shorter than the other wall and the window is a triangle but it's tilted, right. and, and nothing the is. The lamps are warped and weird. Right, and even and the trees are are. Everything else, everything is is tilted and angular except the trees. The trees are oddly symmetrical. Lots of mm. lots of uh, corridors. Mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Even the, the the painting might give you the illusion that it's an open sky. Right. The actual paint on the the scenery, but the shape of the scenery right. is like claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's. The, it's nightmare. It's a nightmare. That's... Watching, watching it just for the the production, uh, right? And and you know, having seen the movie, and and having it fresh in, in in the mind while reading this story, is you can really see how that yeah, living in this town would probably drive somebody completely insane if they're from, especially if they're from somewhere else. You know. A, a, a place where things are round. But, you know, in principle, if the city of Holstenval exists as a city with no curves, there must be a city elsewhere that is nothing but curves. Hmm. I'll let you let that soak into you. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this one had... Um, that had a very interesting climax uh, and, and an unsolved mystery because we, we discover the, the patient that's brought in who has written things on their bandages. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> they're bandaged from head to toe, and they've written things. And he the, the main character wanted to piece the narrative back together, but realizing he would have to actually wrap the bandages around the body exactly as they were to be and able so to understand. And, and so you get whatever was going on with this, this mysterious character is completely lost. Yes. From, from the simple act of unraveling his bandages. 
that part of the narrative is lost. But you see, an, an, an unsimilar thing happened toward the end that makes it, it draws it out and it really is kind of interesting in itself. Uh, I would almost say like that was a bit of foreboding there, then. A little, little foreboding, a little fore foreshadowing. foreshadowing. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, the one thing I didn't like about this story is that it was the posthumous narrative. Well, not exactly posthumous. It's like he was dying when he was writing it. Right. And that's about all we can say about that. <laughs> oh yeah. Spoilers, spoilers. Tiny spoiler, tiny spoiler. Yeah, there's a little couple little spoilers in there. All right. Uh, number four, the fourth story in the book is. Oh yeah, this one's probably going to be a big topic here. Conversion by Robert. I guess that's I'm Levy. trying to do Levy. Thank you. Yep. Levy. Or Levi. Whatever. Levy. Well, if you're watching, Robert, you can correct <laughs> us on how to pronounce your last name. My trouble was my handwriting. Um, so, yeah. Um, my note here, I have I have another margin note. Uh, disturbing. <laughs> uh, and that's that yeah. was the one thing that just kept echoing through my mind as I was reading this story is, God, this is this is just disturbing. Um, the basic I actually had to walk away from this a couple of times before I got. Yeah, there. it was it was it was really rough. Um, effectively, the plot to to make it a one sentence pitch is a doctor creates a different kind of monster. Um, basically, it deals with very sensitive subject matter. Um, the re-education, quote unquote, of of a young young gay man, and how how that doesn't go according to plan. Uh, yeah, I mean this one. Whew. Oh, it's just brutal. It, it is. Um, it's very brutal. Um, from start to finish, he just. God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it, it, it escalates. I mean, I was Dan, Walter's story, uh, "Take a Walk in the Night, My Love," and "Confessions of a Medicated Lurker," both had these like dreamlike quality to them. This you almost you're almost perceiving it through a haze. Um, conversion is kind of in your face. Conversion is basically what happens when a, a therapist throws ethics completely out the window mm -hmm. and decides to use controversial methods, um, in, including hypnosis, um, sexual um, molestation therapy, Mm -hmm. For lack of a better term, yeah, um, that, it, it, so he he takes a young homosexual boy, with the on the pretense of turning him into a straight man who will, who will take his rightful place in the world as a straight white male. Mm -hmm. And it goes completely off the rails 
But the doctor is already completely off the rails. But I don't think the doctor sees it as going off the rails. I think no, the, only, the, the only thing that he is even remotely concerned about, and not really, is having to deal with his daughter being a victim. Right. And that's like, I think that's more of a, uh, not a concern of a parent, but more of a concern of like how, the like repercussions this is my property. How, like how dare more, you mess what, with my property? How he would have to, to uh, deal with that. It would affect him, not, yeah. Without, I mean, he, he had no problem that. recruiting his daughter for the for the work. I mean, he had no problem having his daughter sit there and having the boy touch her. You know, it was only no. afterwards that something happened that was outside of his realm of influence that there was a problem. Right. Um, it, there's parts of this story I don't know if you've ever read Legati's The Frolic. That it, that it's kind of reminiscent of. I have not. Well, I mean, this guy is clearly a mad scientist of his own. And instead yeah. of death rays and world domination schemes, um, he takes over your mind and shapes it the way he wants. Um, and the kicker is, the final brutal kicker is, he's hiding his own homosexual urges. During the narrative, he... he you can. It is written that he is thinking these things. I, I'm going to fuck this out of the boy if I have to. You know, I, I'm going to take him and I'm going to blah 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 and do things to him. And so he's clearly got these homosexual urges himself that he has been in denial of. And clearly, those things have built up in him until he turns into this kind of monster who turns other kinds of people into mon who turns other people into monsters. Can you tell that I have feelings about this? It's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of oogie parts to this that were... Uh, I mean, obviously, it was it was written, A, to make a, a point, because gay therapy or gay aversion therapy, if that's what it's called, is a thing. And people do practice it and use it. Um, but also to make a... A point that like it's fucking brutal, and this story shows just how brutal it can be. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so next up on the list is a rebellious house by Mara McHugh. Uh, let's see. What am I? Now. This is another second-person story, right? And this one's this one's interesting because because it, it, you know there, this is this is one I was scratching my head at the end. Yeah, there's there's not a little king and yellow in here. Just a little bit, yeah. But yeah, uh, um, which is which is fine. It's 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 that's beautiful, wonderful no, stuff. Actually, there is. A lot of points of intersection, I think, between um, the Caligari-esque things and mm -hmm. King and Yellow. Um, madness not being the least of which. Right. It's really just just what is the uh, 
the source and the purveyor of madness mm-hmm. in each that is different. I mean, obviously, King and, Ye- King and Yellow is more supernatural in origin than uh, Caligari, which is more pseudoscience-based. Mm-hmm. But um, the title, actually, I looked this up. The title is a um, misquoted from misquote from a biblical text, Ezekiel 12, 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is, and I'll, I'll read it from the text rather than, than the Bible. Where I say daughter, replace it with son. Daughter okay. of man, she whispers to you, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see and see not, they have ears to hear and hear not, for they are rebellious house. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Yes, you have a, uh, a we always knew it, Rodney. bad motherfucker. That's right. Yeah, I, misquoting Ezekiel. <laughs> very, very popular thing to do, it seems. The only um, reason I know it's a misquote is because I looked up the quote. <laughs> right. No, that's not a big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, th- like I said, this this is one of the stories that that, um, again, second person, you felt like you're you're riding along and you're a prisoner inside this this character's head, um, which is which is fun, and you're just like watching all of these events unfold, and there's always the the uncertainty. As to what's real, what's not real. Did you see what you think you saw? Right. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and it's it's very it's very unsettling. And yeah, when when like I said, when it's over, I was just like scratching my head. Did I did I just read that? So, so what you have in this one is a uh, catatonic patient. Yes. Called uh, Penelope or Penny. Right. Who goes in for therapy? To uh, her husband wants her out of the catatonia and refuses to give her electroshock mm-hmm. because now, he's had now, bad now, yeah, it also bears mentioning that this is a self-induced catatonia. Yes, um, pretty much the patient, the main character, can come out of this catatonia whenever she wants. She just chooses not to because the world sucks. Because the world sucks. Yes. And she's and just not so, going to play anymore. So she completely withdraws to an inner world, but she's completely aware of the outer world as well. Right. So you get the interplay between the inner world and the outer world. You, you do get a sense that she, she maintains her agency and kind of plays along with the catatonia. Mm-hmm. So, so. Yeah. Spits out her meds when... When the opportunity arises, right, and, and things like that, you know, main, maintaining as much control and as much agency as possible in the environment she's in, and under the guise she uh, maintains. She actually looks at the therapy as a challenge to her. Yes. To her willpower. Yes. Yeah. There's there's a scene where. The doctor basically comes up to her and he's like, "Stand up," and you know it's just like part of her, part of her subconscious wants to obey the command, but she wills herself to stay, stay seated, and 
and so the, even the doctor is referring is is thinking of her as a challenge. So it's, there's almost this kind of cat and mouse thing going on as well in the background of you know the doctor wants certain things out of her to show that there's progress being made, and she is willing herself to maintain a status quo of right. sorts. This is the first of the stories that actually um, takes advantage of the theatrical um, aspect of the movie, mm-hmm. um, where, where in the movie you have the somnambulist Caesar, who is, it's an affair setting, where right. it's a roll-up, come see the freak somnambulist. And in this we have a, a similar situation where you have the uh, catatonic women are put on display in a theatrical production production yeah and and also also they 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 refer to you know which one's going to be the oracle because uh, Cesar was also able to predict the future with astonishingly astonishing accuracy right um, and so that element comes into play as well. So that was yeah, and well, they even have a, a variation on the "When will I die?" question. Oh yes, um, yep. Mm-hmm. But very and similar results. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler. Spoiler. They all. I don't know if that is a spoiler, considering that's canon for the movie. Right. That's true. Right. That's true. But um, so it's only yeah. a tiny spoiler. Yeah, and it, it only escalates from there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it goes to shit really quickly. And, then just but, and that's where shit. it kind of gets where you have to question the perspective of the second person narrative and how reliable the narrator is. Mm-hmm. Because after after the theatrical therapy, <laughs> when when the shit hits the fan, it gets really psychedelic really quickly mm-hmm. right and and one of the one of the tricks in this story is because it's second person and the the narrator is unreliable they're still calling you you yeah so the narrator is unreliable but you are the narrator right and so, no one so thinks brings, themselves as unreliable Right, and it brings and it brings that that turmoil and that unreliability into you know even further out into the real world as you're reading it, and you're already because of the second person narration and being drawn into the story, you're already kind of existing half within the book and within the story and half in the real world. So, like I, I mentioned, you get to the end and you're like, "Did I just read that?" Because you're already questioning. Your own reliability as the reader, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you know, did I read what I just read? <laughs> Wait, did I read that right? This Wait, would be what? so much easier with spoilers. Yeah, it, it would. <laughs> it would. But you know, that's a that's a story that I also made a note that I'm going to have to go back and and read again for for that reason. I actually read the the last bit of it again just to to see if. What I read was what I thought I read. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I, I, I also made another interesting little note here uh, concerning second person. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, normally I find second person narration to be a little awkward, but within the overarching tone of madness, it is a useful technique, and it's almost like you can't choose your own adventure. <laughs> Orin Grant has a story in this anthology. We'll get to that next week. Yep. Speaking of choose your own adventure. All right. So next up is uh, the Long Dream by David Nichol. Uh, that one was cool. Yeah, that one was that one was really cool. It it it, it had a lot of really weird stuff going on in it. Um. Once again, the lines between you know it, it's almost like it's almost like Shuang Tzu's butterfly. You know, does does the does Shuang Tzu dream he's a butterfly, or does the butterfly dream he's Shuang Tzu? And it seems that that's exactly what's going on here with uh, with the patient. Yeah. Um, and I also find it interesting that it was written almost it was written way after the fact. In, in this talk, this presentation being given before a bunch of other psychiatrists. Um, that at times is almost like the, the narrator of the story is himself insane. And you can see him in, in those old-fashioned uh, auditoriums where they have the, the gallery and all the doctors are around the gallery and this guy is like standing in this room in what is essentially a pit, addressing these guys, and that's exactly uh, what I was picturing know, too. Waving his arms around, pulling out his hair and stuff, as as you know, he's pleading to these these his his peers, essentially that you know we're we're going about this all wrong. We we failed this guy because we were looking at it as the old way of doing things, and we need to change things around. And, and, and look at it from a fresh perspective and borrow some techniques that we abandoned as superstition. Now, in, in a way, this story was the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead of Dr. <laughs> Caligari. Um, because the events, obviously the events of, of Caligari happened mm -hmm. in this story, and the psychiatrists are, are there to pronounced Conrad, which is great that they use Conrad because the actor who played Cesar was Conrad Bite Beat. Yep. The original inspiration for the Joker. For the Joker, yes. Long <laughs> Kili. Man laughs. Yep. But um, anyway, so you get all the events or the major events from the film happen off camera. And once again, if you're familiar with the film you can piece it together. But they're, they're going there to, to say, well, yeah, he killed all these people, uh, but he was insane. Clearly he was insane. Clearly. And uh, Clearly. because really at the end of, of, of Caligari, of the movie, you don't really find out what happens to, to Cesar. No. Everybody else is in the asylum. <laughs> right. But you don't find out what happens to Cesar, and here you, you do find out. Yeah. Um, 
he he leans up against the wall with a flower and probably you know the entire Cure discography playing in his head. <laughs> I mean that's that's how it seemed to me. But yeah, I mean you know uh, Conrad in this story. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> Excuse me. Conrad in the story is clearly, you know, he's clearly not <clears throat> what we would consider to be sane. Um, and it's a type of insanity that the narrator, Doctor, and his and his comrades um, had never seen before. And they really weren't sure exactly how to approach it. And that's, that's one of the big... Um, problems the narrator has is he's so uncertain as to what to do that he's, he's tried the techniques that he knows and they they weren't working. They failed. And, and they ended up failing him. Um, but then the big question comes at the end was was he actually crazy or not? Right. Because there's the possibility that his, from our perspective, delusion Right. Was actually reality. Right. What What was Conrad's dream and what was Conrad's reality? Right. Uh, he seemed to think that what the doctor thought of as his delusion was reality. I mean, he was and, like living in an Edgar Rice Burroughs story. Right. Hmm. And his his dream was actually a nightmare, and it was the nightmare of the real world. Right. Of, of being here. Of being here. And there's that's that's a meaty subject to try to chew on. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So yeah, that's. I mean, the hits just keep on coming. Hey. Uh, so next we have Eyes Looking by Janice Lee. Uh, this this was another one that that I I ended with scratching my head going, did, what what did I just read this? This one was another brutal one. Yeah, it was. This one was. It was brutal. Um, and you're you're along. You're you're kind of like floating behind this guy as all this stuff happens. And this, along more like it. Yeah, yeah and this, and this is another one that doesn't have like a narrative. It's more of an impressionistic piece where you get like a a chunk that is out of time. Of, right. And this is this guy, and this is what he's like. Right. You you, you get you get a chunk that's out of time, and then you get memories that are out of sequence. Right. And and, and some of his memories are are created whole cloth of mm -hmm. out of fiction. Yes. Um, he's it's another it's a madman who is going through a therapy where he's told to uh, list his regrets. Right. And those regrets blossom into other regrets, and and he regrets uh, regretting, and right, and and some he regrets yeah. things that he never did, things that didn't happen. He just like vomits out regret he's, after he's regret, regret after yeah. regret after regret, and the and shit it's... that he's done or says he's done or regrets that he's done is some world class brutal shit. Oh yeah, mm, damn. And it's just it's just infinite. It just keeps on going. You know, we hear about one nasty incident, 
and that triggers a memory of another nasty incident, and it is regret. How does this well run, man? It, it's, Holy it's, crap! It's turtles all the way down. Yeah. yeah. My notation on this is well, okay then. <laughs> well, really, you look at, at the guy's madness, mm-hmm. and you come to the conclusion that this guy is really just better off being mad. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, this is just, I mean, bright patch. This is, if this were a painting, this would be almost abstract. Uh, you know, it's just bright patches of this and, and maybe kind of a collage as well. So it'd be like partially abstract and partially a collage, which is like random moments scattered all Picasso. over the and possibly, but different angles of different things. Like, and like Jackson Pollock. Depths. Like Jackson Pollock being spattered over a uh, a ransom notice. Yeah, kind of, kind of like those 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 ransom notes that are cut out of newspapers, where all the letters are different. But with pink, together. But, but with, like but with yeah, bright, yeah, bright reds and you know, blues and greens and yellows and. Yeah, and that's that's just what it appeared to me. It was, it it was it was the type of story that didn't register so much to, uh, you know, like the the side the part of your brain that processes language, but it was more of a, it started evoking other, uh, other imagery in 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 my head, more like like the painting itself. And yeah, it was, this story was like. More of an experience than than reading a story, so that's that's one of the things that made it interesting. And yeah, I I had to just stop for a second after I read the story and go, okay, let's let's get our head together here for the rest of it. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little worried about this. Is this reflective of our own state of mind? This is microphones of madness. This is true. This is true. <laughs> we are we are Arkham, Arkham Hospital Board Seven. Hell yeah! This whole show happens <laughs> inside of the interior of a walnut. Indeed. Yes. Indeed, and everything I say is the screams of that walnut. As a mouse through the outer shell. Yes. <laughs> we are your nightmare. All right, so next up is <laughs> Breathing Black Angles by Richard Gavin. Ooh, damn. Another brutal one. Another brutal one. We have uh, the This beginnings. one actually Go ahead. has Caligari as kind of a good guy. Yeah. As kind of a rebel leader. Yeah, actually, this one I was like, wow, man, I'd, I'd like to see more of stuff going on in this world. Yeah, I want to know how they do what they do. I want to I, see them succeed. I had this as uh, Margaret Atwood's Dr. Caligari. <laughs> hmm. But um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I thought I thought it was a a, a great take uh, setting up this this fascist kind of world. Um, Joe Polver let a, a hint 
about a book called From Caligari to Hitler, I believe. So mm -hmm. I think uh, I think this story might have had, had some influence from that as well. Since we have this development of this um, supremely fascist state that was oppressing a certain group of people represented by the main characters in the story. Um, also, interestingly enough, each each of the characters, the main character and the, all the minor characters, have abilities specific yeah. to themselves. And it also has this kind of uh, Caligari as Professor Xavier kind of thing going on, mm -hmm. where Caligari teaches them to that they ha actually have abilities and how to use their abilities to to maximum effect to fight this oppressive regime. And yeah, I mean it was it was pretty exciting and and this is this is one story that I would like to see more stories in this world of, of things that are going on in these Hulk Caligari. <laughs> <laughs> What do you guys think? What do you guys think of that one? I wasn't sure I was going to be able to read it at first. Reading about all the things that were happening to that certain group of characters. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, is this going to... Am I going to have to walk away from this? But I stuck it out, and by the end I was going, Yes! 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 Damn. <laughs> More! Yep. More. Yeah, yeah, this is this is one you're definitely cheering for the characters. Well, at the end, I mean, if you, if if you look at history, mm -hmm. Caligari was created during the Weimar Republic, and uh, what happened after the Weimar Republic was the Third Reich. Right. Hmm. So very very similar you know, historical parallels, even though that. The exact terminology wasn't used. Well, and, and a lot of the uh, the filmmakers of Germany were given the choice of uh, working for the state mm -hmm. or get the fuck out. Right. And um, I think the director of Caligari was one of the ones who was like, I'm, I refuse to do that. Right. But I do like superheroes. And I particularly loved the phrasing "inner night." The inner night. They used yeah. to describe what what each of us has inside of us. Right, the source. The source of our powers. Yes. Is the inner night. They can never be never be eradicated, no matter how many fucking lights yeah. they put up. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think I don't know if it even specifies special powers as much as the inner spirit. That is how I took that. Ah, that's a little bit of both. A little bit of both, mm -hmm. because it also it refers to their, to the inner spirit and 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 that inner strength that you never want to surrender. Right. Um, and it all is also the source of their of their special powers, the divination, uh, the knack for hunting and tracking, Wolverine, Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. really freaking cool. But yeah, this was this was a cool story, and it was uh, 
it was an interesting change of pace after after some of the other stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a lot of brutal stories. Yeah, speaking. Nice. Yeah, this one was kind. Of, even though there were some brutal things going on, it was yeah, it was a nice change of pace because uh, Joe decides to kick us some more in the next story. <laughs> um, so yeah, that one is. Uh, yeah, it's just wow. Okay, some nam, some nambule. Perfume. Uh, that's by SP. Miskowski. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this one is. This one gets a little on the brutal side too, just because of, you know, the the images of the child and and just the and the, the battered story, wife, the battered wife. What's interesting about this is that it's a story within a story within a story. Yeah. Yeah. And and you get these these three layers of narrative. So it's like how much of how much of the deepest narrative is is true because we're getting this third, third hand. Right. And and the deepest narrative is the actual story. Right. Yeah, the deepest narrative is the actual story and there is there's some rough shit going on there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, there's there's some just moments that I mean, it's not like especially graphic, but the tone is set so well that you can fill in any of the blanks. Like well, you, you know this woman's actual relationship with her husband you know, from the description, they don't really get explicit, but you know what happens. Right. You know, and... Well, that, that's the other thing is, it's familiar enough because, you know, a lot of people have been there. Yeah. And that is probably the most disturbing thing, is that you can read between the lines so easily. Right. And you know um, you know, those details, I mean, uh, I mean, you may even Ms. know somebody who's been through this. Ms. Kowski did not provide them, but you did it yourself. Yes. And, and this one is where, where some of the other stories were bordering on the supernatural or bordering on even super science. Right. This story is the horror of the everyday. I mean, right. you know, everybody who reads this book is going to know somebody like these characters, and you. And it's not often that we sit down and think about it, and in a way, thank goodness we don't, because there are events that happen to people in in life that you know. If you if you survive and bring yourself through them, fucking more power to you. Because Shit. these things, these these, I mean, this soul shattering stuff. Well, there there is a little bit of the supernatural in here. Yeah, there's a there's a hint, but yeah. by and large, you though, know, like the after image of a perfume. Right. Yeah, and and that was a nice little tie-in effect to the story there. And you kind of wonder what the perfume smells like. Right. I, I, 
could be a real perfume. I'm not really certain. I didn't look it up. This reminded me of something that actually happened to me today. I was in a dollar store, and they had little little things of perfume set up. Mm-hmm. And one of those was in a, a little skull-shaped bottle. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, that is freaking cool. And I didn't buy it, but reading this story just brought Did me right back it? to that. She shoplifted six <laughs> bottles. And, six bottles, yes, and they're sitting and on the my first, desk right now. the first six no. emails to microphonesofmadness at gmail.com, Kim will send you <laughs> one of those pilfered bottles. <laughs> Poor Tubby. Oh, Tubby, yeah. Poor, Poor Tubby. Thing. But no, I did not steal any. In fact, I was there looking for Halloween stuff, and I was disappointed. Uh, well, August. I know, but so what? Uh, sorry, it's August. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm an equal opportunity complain about holidays being marketed early. <laughs> Halloween is not one of them. No, it is. They all are. You know, I've seen some places they already have Christmas shit out, so it's like, oh, God. The least they can do is give me some Halloween. So, thank anyway, you, moving on. Thank you to S.P. Mikowski uh, for for delivering us from the, the, the horrible tragedies of the real world to the horrible tragedies of consumerism. <laughs> All I'm saying is there's no war on Halloween. <laughs> Yet. Yet. All right, so we're, we're approaching the home stretch. We have two stories left to go. Uh, the next one on the list is The Projection Booth by Nathan Carson. Uh, this story has probably... I mean, this, this story... <laughs> the tone of this story was just like, oh. All right. <gasps> Let's go through the, the checklist. Okay. Gamma World... Yep. Grateful Dead. Yep. Axis and Ally. <laughs> yep. I mean, um, the guys live in the dream. Live in the dream. Live in the dream, man. <laughs> I mean, he stands out in front of his job getting high. Yeah. He even wrote his own comic book. He, he wrote, he his, wrote own his own game. Book. Wrote his own game. It's like we know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> we know like dozens of this guy. Yeah, this, this this story is about all of us and everybody we know. These are our people. Uh, but you know, this story also takes the takes a slightly different tone because you know it starts out and you're expecting, oh god, this is gonna just go, this is gonna be gonna go one place, and then it goes to another place. It, you know, I one of my notes is road trip. <laughs> I like that um, Carson had a nice jab on reboots, remakes, and sequels with Dr. Caligari 3000. That's right. That's right. It's <laughs> I'm, I can see where you're coming from if you went in expecting 1920s, but that's a far <laughs> cry from the year 3000. <laughs> it, it, but, it is a very good look at how toxic nerd culture can be, especially mm. towards women. Yes. Mm. Um, with an extra 
helping of slapstick comedy of sorts. Yeah. Like, like black comedy. Yeah. I, I, I can't reveal the joke, but, but Carson throws a joke in that I almost spat my drink onto the laptop when I read it because it just – he slid it in there where you least expected it, and it just it, – it slaps you across the face, and I just laughed. It was like if if the other the other nine stories so far in this book were prepping you to lose your sanity, Carson slipping that joke into his story is what breaks it. And damn, I wish I knew which joke you were talking about. Well, I can't tell you because that would be spoilers. I'll tell you off camera. You can type it. I can type in the notes. Then I would know. And I can agree with you. And then Kim would know. And then Kim would know, and Kim would be looking for it. Yeah, hell yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I liked this story. Uh, I think out of them all, and it might be because because it is us and everybody we know that yeah. are the characters in this story. Uh, it, so far, this one's been one of my one of my absolute favorites. Fucking Californians. Fucking California, man. All righty. There it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that brings us to the final story. And it's kind of funny because I had that written down. You have that written down? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do I. <laughs> So the final story, and and I, I read this one, and and I I just I'm probably gonna gush and be a fanboy in just a second here. Full disclosure: the author Jeffrey Thomas. He's a friend. He's a friend. He's been a guest on the show. Yeah. Um, and just an all-around great, great guy. I love him yeah. to death. So it's, it's hard to be objective about. Uh, Jeffrey Thomas story, and fortunately for us, there was no need to be objective. That's right, because Jeffrey Thomas comes in and he kicks your fucking face in. <laughs> Jeffrey Thomas has written the anti-Caligari story. Mm. He has taken everything from Dr. Caligari and twisted it and turned it on its head. That's right, and what we get is we get a I really, I really, I a masterpiece of science fiction. Yeah, I mean, I'll just straight up fucking say it. God damn it! It's it's a masterpiece. I mean, this story, all of the stories have been good, and it just keep and it just kept building and building and building, and we got to the projection booth, and I was like, okay, you know, sanity snapped, and then the mayor of Ephemera comes. You turn the page, it's there, you start reading it, and it's just like the sanity has snapped, and Jeffrey Thomas says, all right, we are going to kick you across time and space, and and we're going to just – you're not going to recognize where you are. He creates this world that is should be whimsical. Mm -hmm. It's got that kind of like that Neil Gaiman-ish, urban fantasy-ish. Mm -hmm. Kind of a. It should be dripping whimsy. It's 
people who have gone beyond the need for their bodies and re replaced the, their bodies with mechanical ones of their own desires. You can be anything. Like a Tim Burton stop-motion movie. Yeah, you can be anything. Yep. But he, like, sets that up, and you're going, okay, okay, right, 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 right. We've seen really this cool. in a thousand Superman comics, blah, blah, blah. And then he just yanks the rug out from under you and goes straight for everything dark about that setup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kim, this is the one that I haven't gotten to yet, and you guys are making me crazy to read it. God damn well, it. That's that's the whole point of the show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this, this story, I mean, this... It's perfect. But and then right he, there, dead center of the book. Well, and then as he's doing this, he gets to like hit you with a little bit of uh, social commentary too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And about you know, you know he's well. I won't. I won't spoil it. Right. Right. I mean, as all good sci-fi, there is there's a heavy dose of social commentary. Right. And, well, let's put it this way. Uh, Jeffrey does not um, pull any punches and doesn't leave you wavering as to what side of the fence he's on on this issue. And uh, he would not be on the short list for, this, for the Sad Puppies <laughs> Hugo nominations. <laughs> All right. Joe Pulver has been leaving us messages. <laughs> We must apologize to Joe. <laughs> yeah, for, for not looking at Facebook as, as, as we're going on here. Um, and we will get to those comments in just a second because, you know, it's not every day the editor. Um, but, yeah, so far, based on 11 stories, based on half the book, you know, get out there, hit that link at the bottom in the description, and pre-order this book. You are not going to be disappointed. Um, you know, don't necessarily try to push through it in two weeks like we're going to do, uh, because this is this is a book that's definitely going to need a reread um, mm -hmm. after after we're done. Um, Some of them just need to be savored. Well, there's just so much going on. It's mm -hmm. not. Yes. It's 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 not a typical like weird fiction story where you get the point. It's the clever little. You know, twist on whatever theme Lovecraft started with, you know, a hundred years ago. These are definitely well thought out, and they make you think about things. Um, th there's depth that you don't normally see in these anthologies. Uh, absolutely. The subject, subject lends itself really well to that, because there is so much to the science and the pseudoscience itself. It's just like a whole realm that you can just endlessly play in. And that is what they're doing here. Oh yes. Endlessly. And and like once again, like I said, we're only halfway in. So next week, ladies and gentlemen, we will be continuing our journey into the city of Angles with the second half. Um we're gonna leave it right there. Um Joe, I will apologize absolutely. for saying misquote uh, from the Ezekiel, but a reshaping. That's from Joe. 
that's from Joe. Uh, Joe also included an Amazon link to some uh, other commentaries and whatnot that I'm going to add to the description. And it's Levy. Levy. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was reading that and I was like, what? what? Lee 5? <laughs> Why am I thinking in Roman numerals? Um, yeah, so... So far, batting a thousand, as usual for Joe Bulber. Oh wait, we have a comment from Joe that talks about how this whole thing came to be. Ah. To quote Joe, I've been to Hossenwald before, back in '08. I penned a tale called "A Night of Blood and Moon," then um, Hossenwald, which appeared in Blood Will Have Its Season. Uh, after I wondered what others would make of the film, and so Caligari was born. Awesome. So there you have it. And now the rest of us get to experience that. So thanks for making this book, Joe. Yeah, yes. seriously. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for letting us take a look at it. Um, oh. If you want to go ahead and start the outro, Steve, I just got oh. a message from Jeff. Oh, all right. Um, so... Monday, we will finish part two with part two of The Derelict. Um, while several people are on break. And then Friday, we'll have more fungi. Next week will be part two of The Madness of Dr. Caligari. And who knows what happens from there on in. Um, I do want to, I want to say... Actually, Rodney does. Well... <laughs> it's because I know everything but I do want to say that the 29th is Lily Dickey's birthday hey so, happy birthday Lily oh yeah so I, I don't know if we'll we'll probably do it on Monday Night Heroes but we're going to do it right now so happy birthday to Lily happy birthday Lily um, to you. we have no idea how old she is so no candles or anything. Sorry. Me, that's we all do know that she that she makes one of our favorite web comics. Yep, Red Velvet Requiem. So uh, yeah, you can go on to Tapastic and check that out. Give some love to the birthday girl. That's right, birthday girl. And she's also got and, a uh, you can you can patronize. Yep. Yep. So until then, until next time. Say goodnight, Gracie. Don't sleepwalk, Gracie. Oh, come on. Wake up.